Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. This is the OKS Hunter Podcast. Never pass on shooter bucks, if that's just me in the freezer. It's your tag, you hunt how you want. This is OKS Hunter. Howdy, howdy. Howdy. Welcome to the OKS Hunter Podcast. We're in Oconomowoc, doing the same thing we do every Tuesday, drinking bourbon and talking about deer, having a good time. Deer. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Here we go. We're brought to you by Half Rack, half-rack.com. They are, they are our presenting sponsor. That means they take really good care of us. Uh, we are we have some stuff on the way. By the way, um, so that's pretty neat. I talked to them this morning, and we're gonna do the this fun new ad thing pretty soon. I'm really excited about it. Cool. I've been trying to do it with everybody, and they're the first to like really be available to talk to me about it and like say, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. Sweet. So I'm excited about it. Their products have more meaning than you would think, into how they've named some of the products. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah. Some of them have names that are like rooted in geographic locations that have to do with specific hunts from specific people um, and all Wisconsin-based stuff. So I'm going to be really nerdy about it <laughs> All right. <laughs> when we do it. I can't wait to see this ad campaign. Yeah. Code OHP will get you, bleh, I don't remember, I'm sorry, something off the, go plug it in and see what happens. You might get 10, you might get 15, you might get 20. I don't know. Go try something. Let's just go buy it to figure it out. Uh, it is Prime Day, but I have nothing to offer you on Prime Day. Other than right. I'm getting a lot of offers. And try not to spend all my money on stuff. But it is about that time when we check back into deer hunting season. I think after the 4th is like the official like kickoff. Yeah, it's time to pick up the reps of shooting your bow, um, getting out, doing more hiking, more scouting. You know, I know it's summertime scouting, and I don't know how relative it is. For some it is, some it's not. I'm... I don't find a whole lot of relevancy other than knowing, yep, there's deer here, and they're, st- they're still using it like they were last year at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to get into that later, I think. But um, trail cameras, you know, set a few of them out. Um, I'm not going to set as many as I normally do, I think. I'm going to try and concentrate my efforts on a couple of pieces, and that's it, rather than trying to spread myself out thin mm-hmm. and not have any success like I have been doing um yeah that's all I'm gonna all I'm gonna Might share for right say now we'll see how it goes huh yeah, we'll yeah, yeah we'll it'll be see a, let's it see how it goes uh yeah so and more shout outs to of course Latitude Outdoors I know we've been talking for a while earlier in the year we're talking June a June drop and we're in July um looking like it's gonna be right around the beginning of August for the Carbon Series Speed Sticks 
Let's just uh, thank supply chains for that stuff. It is what it is. It's hard to launch a new product, and that is, I'll tell you, it is very common to have delays in this kind of stuff when you're trying to get something built right. Yeah. That's the important thing to remember. It's built safely. It's built correctly. It's built to the standards that they've set. So stand by for that. Otherwise, uh, you obviously get into their saddles and their platforms and everything else they have going on over there, new pads, whatever. Um, Spartan Forge, as we're getting into early season, kind of scouting, summer scouting, 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 scouting. LiDAR is coming soon. Uh, I talk about it in a really weird way. I say it's like a naked rat. I say these things because it's memorable and weird and like, <laughs> what, what did he just say? You know? But I'm not trying to do it a disservice. I'm trying to just get it to be an impactful statement. But it is really impressive. There's a number of people that have beta versions that I see um, being shared out on social media. So you add in that um, slope angle mm -hmm. where you can get that 3D view of the hills and the terrain plus the LiDAR where you're taking away the vegetation on the top. You're adding in your top of lines at the, what is it, 5, 10, 25. You pick your range on how close you want them to be together. And you're going to start to find some things that maybe you didn't notice before. And so I think that'd be a really cool way to go back and look at previous hunts where maybe you were, like, if I go back to three, four, five years ago, and I was significantly less experienced and educated about this stuff, to take what I know from boots on the ground and some level of success over the last five years, and then use this feature on top of that piece of land that I maybe haven't hunted in five years or more, I could start to have new light bulbs firing off in my brain to go, oh, I could look at it this way, or I could tackle it that way, or I didn't consider this point or that point or whatever. So it's kind of like when you read a book twice. You read it once, and then, eh, you take some stuff, and you read it again and again. Take a different, different angle book. of interpretation on it. Good job. Way to sum up all my bullshit. That was great. You're welcome. <laughs> stock up on your method archery arrows and uh, start flinging. That's Let right. them rip. Stock up, stock up. Fling, fling, fling. Practice, practice, practice. It will build the confidence at full draw that you want right now. We got our Foam Fest event coming on uh, soon at the end of August, August 26th. It's Saturday into Sunday with overnight camping at Horicon Marsh Bowman. Um, BHA will be there representing with us a little bit. Um, you can find our event on their website. The Wisconsin DNR Learn to Hunt folks will be there helping out a little bit. And uh, you can find our event, I think it's on their site. And um, I think it's on one of the websites I'm not thinking about, which is fine. Oh, it's on the Horicon Marsh Bowman site. Um, regardless, you can go to our website, you can go to our events tab. It's the only event there because it's the only event that we do, and you can register through Eventbrite. It's 40 bucks, but that helps us cover all of the stuff. Like that's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's taking care of everybody. That's you know making sure the, the course is sprayed for mosquitoes so you're not getting bit up. You can enjoy yourself out there a little bit more. Prizes, all that stuff. I yeah, think and you can keep going through the course, right? Yeah, you can, you can shoot it a few times. Um, I have an agenda that I, that I scoped out on the Eventbrite page. It's pretty loose. It's not. It's not super rigid. It's very flexible. But that's the general kind of thought for the day. Yep. Just so people have an idea, and it's family centric, family friendly. So bring, if you're a girl, bring your husband and kids. If you're a, a dude, bring your wife and kids, or your significant other, or just your kids, or, or yourself. Whatever you got going on, you don't have to drop the kids off at daycare. You can Absolutely. bring them. Absolutely, the whole family is welcome here. Um, we want to see men, women, children, everybody, everybody show up. Everybody have a good time. And then you can log that event, uh, not the event, but you can log that you shot 3D archery uh, on Go Wild. And if you spend enough time at the event, you log enough hours, you're going to get a whole bunch of points, which equal money and discounts. So you can go buy more stuff. And you there can you use go. Photo HP over there on top of those discounts. Move this back. I should probably be careful how I word things. But nonetheless, just go to Go Wild. If you haven't joined, join up. Check it out. Poke around. It's a super positive community. You want to learn a new recipe to cook something, You want to, which is something I did. I wanted to figure out what youth go to buy. I, I went there. I 
or onto Facebook or found any Facebook groups. I just posted there, and it was awesome. The feedback was fantastic. So with that, uh, we have a guest. I don't know if we should bring him on. He's <laughs> probably going, what is taking so long? What up, Rendell? How's it going, buddy? What's up? How's it going good about you guys? Good. We're excited to talk to you. You've made your rounds in the podcast realm, and we've been talking for, I don't know, at least a year, if not more. Met you down in Iowa at the Deer Classic. And for those that see you on camera, I don't know if they realize how large you are. You are a, tower, you are a towering man. Yeah, for sure. I, w- I wish I was short and skinny, but it's not the case. Well, I mean, you're a force to be reckoned with, and I think you're a force to be reckoned with in the deer woods nonetheless. But uh, thanks for joining us, goofballs, over here. We appreciate it. You're you're a killer, man. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I know Greg's pretty happy. You guys talk quite a bit. Yeah. Greg talks to everybody quite a bit. I wouldn't feel too special about <laughs> just it. just trying to be social, that's all. <laughs> trying to give everybody the time of day. I'm nothing special either. Well, before we, like, you know, get, I want to get into this topic that you and I discussed ahead of time to kind of lay the, lay the, the, lay the land of, like, you know, the pitfalls of early season or what have you. But before we do that, just, I don't know, maybe talk about who the hell you are and why we should listen and what you got going on these days because I know you had some pretty big <laughs> changes recently. Yeah, so my name is Rendell Eric. I'm originally from the South. I I don't know. My dream was to chase big whitetails, so I moved to Iowa. Never even been here before. Didn't have a job lined up, place to live, nothing. I uh, ended up just showing up, and I lived in a campground for seven months, and then I lived in a dilapidated uh, fifth wheel camper at the at a guy that I met and became friends with for with no water. So fourteen months of uh, living in crappy conditions just to get started here in Iowa and. Uh, been into the hunting world kind of late my dad was a fisherman so i was raised fishing my parents didn't hunt so i kind of got in my 20s and i decided that i just wanted to be a deer hunter and i figured why not move to iowa to kickstart that after getting my ass handed to me a lot of different states and stuff trying to learn you know because i never had a mentor or anything like that and it was kind of before social media or videos really started you know the youtube gigs so i was just out there didn't even know what i was doing just pretty much learning uh off experience what the deer were teaching me got here and uh got into the mobile game got off the field edge hunting and started hunting more bedding areas and diving deep into that then i got into the saddle world and uh been in the saddle game for like four or five years now killed a lot of really big bucks and yeah now i'm here I got, I was a teacher the last five years, but I'm transitioning into hunting full-time now. So all the sacrifice and stuff that I made when I first moved here has finally paid off for me and I get to chase my dream full-time. That's a, that's awesome. Dude, congrats, man. If I had an applause button, I'd hit it, but I think I have crickets and that could be offensive. So I'm just going <laughs> to be good. careful pushing <laughs> buttons over here. But that dude, camping for, for, would you say seven, would you say seven months? Yeah, in the campground when I first got here. No water for some of that. That's crazy, and that's not even the whole time. Yeah. Where were you before you came to Iowa? I moved here from Tennessee, but my dad was a Marine, so I pretty much lived, I don't even know how many states, to be honest with you. I can't keep track. We moved around a ton because my dad would get uh, stationed all these different places. Where? Um, what was his uh, MOS in the Marine Corps? Uh, 
He was a master gunnery sergeant when oh he retired. Oh my god, that's a scary but was, fella. But he was like uh, a sniper and uh, was a expert marksman and stuff in the Marine Corps when he first got in there. Jesus Christ. All right, well, that explains some characteristics that you probably possess from just osmosis. <laughs> Semper Fi. Yeah, and the, and the genetics, I guess. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> just going to never start any crap with you ever. Oh, my gosh. Well, okay, so now you're in it full time. What does that mean for you? If you feel free to talk about the company you're working for, too. Feel free to, to plug them and, and all that stuff. It's kind of cool to hear some of these stories, and we'll, I'm happy to switch gears as we get going. But this is, this is a cool sidebar. Yeah, so uh, Joe Miles of Ozio Gear hired me as a manager, and I'm just going to do all the like expos and stuff for him, travel the country, talk to people, run the shows, help them with various other things. And then uh, I get to hunt pretty much every day of four and a half months of deer season and two months of turkey season. Jeez. Man, that is the dream, and you definitely sacrifice for it. That's uh, more than some are willing to put in it. But it's a big risk, though, too. Like, it's like you're placing a bet that you're not sure there's going to actually be a return for because no one owes you anything. So it's like, yeah, a lot of people aren't willing to make the risk with, without knowing if there's there's no surefire things in life, and that's definitely not one of them. It's hard to get in the outdoor category and do it full-time like you're doing, especially. Good for you. Yeah, for sure. Definitely blessed. Like, there's so many other guys out there that are probably – Way better hunters than I am or deserve it more. But, hey, I mean, I'm just blessed to be here. And I I sacrificed a long time and put everything I have into hunting. And I, I pretty much planned my whole life around hunting, like all my jobs. If I couldn't hunt, I'd quit them. I'd live as cheap and as poor as I possibly could just so I could scout and have tag money, gas money. Like I would eat like the cheapest food possible just to have money for gear. I'd live in like the crappiest apartments you could get in. Like, man, it took me a long time to get here, but it paid off in the end. I was starting to get to the point where I didn't know if it was worth it anymore or not, just because, you know, life moves on. But I finally, I finally made it at the last minute when I thought I probably couldn't make it anymore. But hey, that's how it happens sometimes. It happens during the last minute. That's why it's the last minute. <laughs> Go figure. That's how it is with hunting, too, I suppose. Yeah. You know? It's, uh, it's a mini zero, zero to hero. <laughs> well, I, I mean, so the topic, you know, what it is, whatever we can, we can morph it a little bit, but the pitfalls of early season bow hunting, and it's not the pitfalls necessarily of like what, maybe what you should or shouldn't do, but it's the pitfalls of, you know, this is what everyone says, but this is what you're doing. And, and yeah, I, so it's like, I'm excited I, to hear what you have to say about it. I'm an early season guy. I excel at, early season i've killed a, a lot of my really big bucks early right out of the gate so i think the pitfalls come from transitioning from summer into early season because you got all these velvet bucks guys are getting all these pictures of velvet bucks they're developing plans on how to kill that buck right now like june july hey i got a daylight photo in june or july of this velvet buck i'm gonna go kill him and they go in there and they figure it out how he's moving where he's bedding and my philosophy is and it's not always there's all kinds of situations i mean if you got managed private land and you got food and you got bedding you worked on it's a little bit different game but you got public land free permission where you're not really manipulating a lot of things 
Uh, Buck here today is gone tomorrow, in my opinion. There's so much shift that happens going into the season that you'll lose ton, like 95% or more of those bucks sometimes, especially ag country, like out here in Iowa, any big agricultural landscape. The shift is way more than big woods. If you're like hunting really big woods and stuff, I don't think the shift is as dramatic because they're not influenced by agriculture. So when you get in the early season, you have to be moving with the deer and that shift is happening rapidly between different food sources. So instead of, uh, for me, I don't really focus on velvet bucks. I don't really care about, I don't even have any cameras out right now. I, I check other things first. I check food sources, what the crop rotation is going to be. I check water levels. And if I see a velvet buck, I'm not making a plan on what he's doing right now. I'm anticipating where he's going to shift to, how far is that shift going to be. And there's some, some key features that go into that because there's sometimes a mature buck will long line, which means he's bedded in one really prime bedding area, but he might travel two, three miles at night to hit a food source. And then he'll travel back to that bedding because that food source doesn't have a good bedding area for him to bed in to keep him safe. I find that the really mature bucks really do that. Some of the younger bucks, you know, they're kind of dumb. They'll risk it for the biscuit. But that really big buck, he'll lock into a bedding area and he'll make that travel at night. And if there's no bedding at all, he might shift two or three miles and never come back. And it's dependent on food source that I found running trail cameras for a long time and a bunch of them and talking to other guys that are killers in the industry and really like paying attention to what the deer are doing and what I'm seeing when I'm hunting all the time. So there's a big uh, transition that they follow food source wise that you need to really pay attention to. I'm just, that's a lot to unpack. I'm sorry. I'm listening. I'm trying to figure out <laughs> what part of that I want to pull the thread on. <laughs> Like, well, I mean, I can, I can kind of go nuts. A, I mean, I got lots of here, but yeah. you know, you find fine buck bedding right now, or any deer bedding, and like like Randall said, it it's dependent on the food source right here, right now. Um, we we're in a drought up here. Our yeah. our our soybeans are awful. Like they they're not even knee high to a grasshopper. They're they're pretty 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 crappy looking. Corn is probably waist high. It might be chest high in a few spots that you know corn's so genetically modified that it it can grow and in, in dust and and by some miracle with very little little water but beans need more rain those deer are not going to hit those beans probably until august and start chewing them off um and historically you know end of july they're usually working on them pretty good already uh but my my experience just finding the right what i feel is the right buck bedding if i go in there and find it you know in august i just screwed that up and probably more than likely did and i've set cameras and then gone back and checked them and you can tell the deer are a little off put by somebody's presence in there they, they know something's up they're not really not really feeling it you can tell just by their mannerisms and how they act on the camera. Because I'll run my cameras in, you know, 30-second video mode. I'll, I'll let them run a video just to see how the deer react and what direction they're coming from rather than just getting a still shot. But they 
maybe human intrusion, maybe it's me, maybe it's two other guys that are, you know, looking at that same area and going, yep, we should hunt here. There's there's always stuff in here. They know it just by by their experience of hunting it in years past or they're seeing sign. They can read sign just as good, if not better, than me. Um, but there's a lot of other things that can really screw things up. So I get what you're going with it, it that you can't really – guarantee that those deer are going to be there come september 15th or whatever our opener is going to be this year yeah because i think they transition to food sources so it depends on when your state opens you got september openers like nebraska kentucky uh the dakotas which i have uh you can get on the soybeans then they'll still be bedded up on field edges they'll be going to the beans so if you live in one of those states you can play on that soy bean uh food source for like the first two weeks of season maybe three until they start turning brown but and then they seem like the white oaks start falling and then they start transitioning to hit the white oaks and then there's a period at the end of september so if you're like missouri um a couple other states like wisconsin they open like mid-september so you're kind of almost off the beans already, but not quite. You might have a week, and then you got the white oaks going. And then there's like a period of time they transition on to just greens, like just straight hay. And it only lasts like a short period, like maybe a week or two, where they still get on that like alfalfa or just a hay field and they're on greens. And then I find they go straight to corn. So if you're in like Iowa, which doesn't open till October 1st, I find that man, the beans are just useless for me. All the big bucks transition right to corn and running cameras. My trail cams strategy is I'm getting in there in August because I want to be in there before September so my scent has time to alleviate. I mean, your scent hangs around a long time, more than longer than what people think. But I like to get in there, and I'm anticipating where the buck's going to shift to throughout my postseason scouting for the last couple years. And then, like, if I postseason this year, it'll be good for next year because I'm you're one year behind almost because the crop rotation. So when you're like this season, it was corn. Then I postseason scouted it. It tells me what happened when there was corn there. But this fall, there'll be beans, so it's going to be different. Then when I go in after this season and scout, I'm going to know what happened when the beans are there. So you're trying to, you're far behind. So you need to be scouting every year to catch up on the crop rotation. And through multiple cameras, I'll have giant bucks in places where there's always corn. But when it transitions the next year, the beans, I always lose those bucks unless there's corn and beans together and they rotate on the same property then the buck tends to stay because he has the corn but it might reposition him to bed in a different woodlot or a different bedding area because they use that corn as like horizontal uh cover like security cover it hides them if you got a woodlot out in the middle of a field and it's beans you can see that woodlot from the parking lot but if it's corn you can't see it, so it gives them like a security. And the corn, they'll actually live in the corn. There's people that have said that deer don't bed in corn, but that's BS because they do it all the time. I'll be driving down a road, and there won't be any woods for three miles, and deer will just start pouring out of the corn right before dark. 
And then you got to look for like waterways in the corn, any kind of open spot, something happened and get planted, got knocked down. A lot of those mature bucks actually move into the corn. So depending on when your stay opens, you need to be transitioning uh, this food source change. So for me, I'll have all my cameras set up on locations that have corn. I found the best bedding areas in there the last couple of years, and I'll have my cameras already set up for when they transition. And if I see like a velvet buck that's really big, I'll get on Spartan Forge and I'll look at the area for the bedding, different properties, and then I'll drive around and then look, okay, there's corn here, but there's corn nowhere else. So that I'm gonna predict that buck's gonna move to the corn. So I know if I need to ask for permission or is that part of the public land, I can dive in there. And that's my speed scouting in summer instead of running cameras and looking at velvet deer. I'm more worried about food sources and water levels can play on that too. If there's no water there, they might, uh, they might not shift into that at all because they need some kind of moisture. And like you said, it's a drought year. So I'm really paying attention to what the river's doing, creeks, ponds, things like that right now. So I'm not really locking in on any kind of velvet bucks per se because I think they'll shift out of areas that they are right now. And if a public land has nothing but beans, I might not even hunt that this year, or even put a camera in there. I might just fly in during season, speed scout it in the morning, see if there's a buck long lining out of there or not, and then I'm gone. But I'm putting all my focus more into what, what the food is when your season opens and then transition through that to hunt up until rut. And then the rut, it's just a wild card. It's hard to really pattern those bucks. They just get really flighty and they bail out and they're chasing does and who knows where they go. So I had I had a question. You kind of answered it, but I'll I'll yeah. restate it. Um, and I had two, so I'll start with one. But the, I was gonna say, like, man, I'm an OKS hunter. Clearly, we know what podcast we're listening to, and you know the crop rotation. I'll be at your year behind based on the rotation of its beans one year corn the next, and it just repeats that cycle. And then you yeah. can kind of depend on that you know, historical scouting and hunting evidence that you've gathered over the years. But if that's the only food plot in that area, I might, you know, play devil's advocate and say, does it really matter if the plot, if the food plot changes to some degree, that's where the deer are going to go for food. And obviously if beans are browning, that's going to be different than what the corn is happening if it's not cut. So I think, I think you answer the question in the sense that corn is cover some degree corn can potentially be bedding and it's food so they don't have to travel far so it does change things demonstrably so then i think you know from that perspective with your historical knowledge or if you're journaling in spartan forage or just anywhere else or you just have that you know tribal knowledge in your head you know that the deer are going to do things very differently with corn than they would with bean and then with its bean for example what the, that brings my second question is the the range of these deer when you say that you know, they may travel three miles to some other primary bedding i got me thinking a little bit if anyone follows me uh personally i've been putting a lot of miles on on in running uh since april and uh if i'm running at like a pretty slow clip because i'm not a fast runner i'm averaging eight to ten minutes per mile and i gotta think about a deer that's covering ground a deer is probably going to travel at a similar pace with way less effort and energy consumption than me killing myself to do that they got twice the amount of legs that's true yeah. and so i'm just thinking okay well that's so then i go back to what derek talks about uh on the podcast a handful of times where he talks about 
these bucks killing time when they're doing, you know, laying down rub clusters just outside of their bed. And then they start to make their shift in their move as the sun is going down or as it's, you know. And what is that duration of time between bed and food? How much ground can they actually cover? And what is their clip? Like, what is their rate of coverage here? And the reason I get to that is the last final point of that question. It's not really a question. Maybe it is. Is, you know, Greg has a primary chunk, an area of public land. I have a few slices of public land around here that I'll hit up. But that buck moves a certain distance. He might be out of range. He might be on private. He might be, I don't know where to go. Once I once he leaves the, the boundaries of that public property, I'm kind of SOL. So how do you play that game of like, I'm anticipating their move and knowing they might be further away? How are you handling that? So I'm looking for like the best betting I can possibly find with historical sign with my postseason scouting that tells me that there was a mature buck bedded in here and I might have encounters during the season with him. I might have trail cam data that verifies that the mature deer we're talking about mature deer here. They're a little totally different animal. Like if you're on five year old plus deer, they act way different than younger deer do. So I'm more focused. That's my goal. That's what I really focus on. So they just act, differently so they want to be in the best bedding possible to survive so if you can identify the different pieces of bedding they're not going to leave that prime bedding to go bed some crappy bedding area that's going to get them killed to move a little closer to food so they're going to stay in that prime bedding and then move out and long line out and you're anticipating what they're hitting so like beans are really high in protein so antler growth they're building their bodies up when you transition into the corn they got the rut coming corn's more carb based they're building up the carbs because when you're running and stuff you're burning carbohydrates so they want to pack that on carbs put fat on you every weightlifter and stuff knows that so they're trying to get really balked up for uh the rut in the winter time and then the beans turn brown they're mostly harvested uh and they'll get on that after right when they get harvested you'll have some you know some fodder that it'll bust open yeah. but farming technology's gotten way better like so that the farmer's loss percentage of soybeans has went way down over the last decade or so with farming technology there's way more spillage with corn when you're combining and stuff you know the guy turns the grain wagon or something or you'll see these big corn piles out in the fields and stuff so even when you got the cut corn, I think they hit cut corn over cut beans as you get into the season too. Absolutely. And then, so it's just moving with the food sources. And I'm where I really lock in on the bedding is I find the prime bedding and then I use sign to tell me that there was a mature buck there, the trail camera data tracks, rubbed size, you know, I hit a primary scrape in there. I got, I glassed him from the road. I'm anticipating that shift to corn. Like I'm just gambling on me with my knowledge that they're gonna shift to the corn, but I'm using secondary food sources to hone in on where I think that buck's gonna go right outside of dark. Cause they'll probably move a hundred yards in my experience. If you wanna kill that buck, 
not all the time. Sometimes you can meet them at the field edge. If you're getting a daylight photo of the buck at the field edge, then you know, why go in there and crash him out? Like you can hunt him on the field edge and kill him or the scrape halfway back. But I like to be in that hundred yard bubble personally. And then I'm, they'll have two or three exit trails. And then I'm like, all right, his main food source is out to the West. He's probably going to head that way eventually. And the bucks are kind of loopers. They don't really straight line move quite as much as like does do. So he'll mill around and stage up before dark and then move out. So that hundred yard window, I've killed a lot of, a lot of my big bucks in that little hundred yard window coming right out of bedding and they'll make it to you with like maybe five minutes left. I mean, they're, you're watching them just mill around forever in that bedding area taking their sweet ass time to move out of there. Cause they know they've got experience living. They've lived five years or more. They're smart. So I'm picking, all right, his main food sources to the West, where's his secondary food? Cause they need brows. So that'll help you identify a bedding area too. They gotta have browse to live. So I'm looking for like the browse type, stinging nettles, jewelweed, duck potato, honey locust pods, anything like that to move in closer and that'll key me in on where he could possibly be staged. And I don't know what that gives you like, if he's got three bedding exits for that wind direction, because they a lot of times they bed mostly on the wind unless you get in like some marsh swamp they might just bed by noise but ag land farm country stuff like that even hill country they bed mostly based on the wind so you're getting in there and you're like all right i got this wind i'll i'll barely be able to kill him before he gets to my wind if i hunt this secondary food source while he's moving to this main food source and he might have three exits. So you got 33% chance of killing that deer if you got in clean and he's in the bed. Sometimes you might not see a lot of deer, like hunting that style. You gotta be okay with not seeing a ton of bucks, but the one you see is gonna be the right one that you wanna kill. Let's just talk about how deer eat stinging. I don't know how crazy that sounds. <laughs> Hold on a second. Yeah, man, they love it. I touched that crap once. Yeah, don't touch it, the stem. You touch the stem, that's good. where it all goes bad. You can touch the leaves. They they use the roots and the leaves for medicinal purposes. Yeah, I touched don't, them once. Don't have to good. take a dump and then you sit in a big pile of nettles when you're taking a dump in the woods. We're not advised that. No, very bad. I had my running with a stinging <laughs> nettle, and I say it's very discomforting. So the fact that you're like, God, the deer eat that, I'm like, they do. What's wrong with those damn animals? I, 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 the, the secondary food source, hearing you explain it was helpful because I misinterpreted secondary to my, to my mind when you first said it sounded like, oh, they'll eat their good primary food source first, then head to secondary. You're saying, no, no, that is the browse. That's what they're going to eat on the way to the good stuff. It's almost like the appetizer. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. not the main course is how oh, I would think about that's, it. That's the and primer. And after they bed down in the morning, they'll get up during the day at some point yep. and they'll mill around and they'll feed on that browse and then they'll lay back down in the bed. They just don't make that big shift out of their bedding until before dark most of the time. Yeah, I mean, I hit the snooze button all the time, too. I don't want to get out of bed either. No. You look at some of those <laughs> bedding areas that we've walked through out by me. Um, you know, there's dogwood, there's jewelweed, there's duck yeah. potato because it's kind of swampy and the stuff will grow. There's uh, there's other kinds of grasses out there for them to eat, but I mean I've seen you know a half acre area of jewelry jewelweed all over, and it's it just gets mowed 
it's pretty amazing. I'm gonna have to Google all these things: jewel weed and duck potato. Yeah. Well, yeah, red dogwood, like you said, is really good. Yep. They'll, especially in winter. I mean, they, they eat that red stuff. That's, that's, that's the red brush. Well, uh, not yeah. not sumac. It's okay. so no. there's there's sumac that gets the red leaves, and then there's the the, the red dogwood. It's like I, I believe it's the, the willow red family, red. but they they browse that because that stuff starts to grow little uh, little shoots like in in winter in January already. It's already getting the little nubs on it, and they'll they'll nip away at that. Yeah, this is a lot of knowledge. This is a listen to six times podcast. Sorry, man. I <laughs> dropped like a ton of information really fast. So oh, so tell it's me good. No, it, it's fantastic. It's not a it's not a problem at all. I think it's it's fantastic. But tell me what are so what are the pitfalls? Like what is everyone else doing then? Like you're you're sharing all this great knowledge and information. Like what are the rest of us idiots doing that are in the OKS crowd? We're getting too tripped up and excited about trail cam photos. We're, you know, maybe not hunting the early season. Like, are you going are you going pot committed, all chips on the table on day one, or how are you spreading those those chips, aka those hunts throughout the early season, and how how far are you defining that early season, um, day one to seven, or day one to fourteen, or day one to two? I know I'm asking like ten questions at once. I'm sorry, Taylor Peter. No, it's all good. So, like the pitfalls, I think people get the velvet pictures right now, like I said, and they're setting up strategies for that buck where he's at right now but he's not going to be there and that buck's going to disappear. The person's going to get really down. I think their mental right out of the gate, their mental state is going to go to crap because they're getting, they're going to get frustrated, confused. They're going to be spinning their wheels like, Oh, what the hell? I lost all my target bucks, man. What do I do? Well, they should be not focusing on that. They need to be figuring out where this buck's going to shift, what the food sources are, what the water levels are instead of trying to run all these cameras and make plans for the buck now where he's at right now because he's not going to be there. And then as you even when you get into the season, like right now deer are bedding out in like tall grass. They're bedding in areas where they're never going to bed during deer season when they got pressure. So the pressure is going to push them. That grass is going to start dying off. The food sources are changing. The deer's behaviors change and that velvet comes off. They get all that testosterone. They're breaking up bachelor groups. So you got bachelor groups breaking up. Bucks are leaving properties. It's like a big dispersal. So everything's working against you if you're planning on killing that buck right now where he's at. Like, And then when they're gone, they're gone. And then you're going to be frustrated. And right out of the gate, like I said, you're just mentally defeated. Where you need to have a game plan to transition with the deer. Where are they moving to? Do I need to get permission on this? property a mile away that's the only property that has corn this year oh this other public piece has corn but there's no summer bucks there right now but oh this other one's got beans and there's all the bucks there but you're concentrating on the beans when you should be trying to figure out ahead of time where you need to be at that on that corn piece when they move over to the corn and not all the time like i said there's a lot of situations sometimes you might retain some younger bucks there might be like a private land right next to the bedding on the public that got you know primary food like food plots like a guy that's a big time hunter you know he's got redneck blinds and he's got all the food plots out there that might hold bucks so you got to look at what you're playing with so my strategy is more based on public land where 
you're just at the mercy of whatever the DNR plants in there. You don't really have a say in anything because that's mostly what I hunt. Even free permission, you can't, I'm not going to roll up and tell the farmer, hey man, do corn on corn every year. Like he's going to tell me to get lost, you know? So you got to know like. Corn on corn action, that gets me excited. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was just one big food plot, man. That's a. Yeah. Cow. Or you might have a farmer do some cover crops and you might have some winter rye. I'm a huge winter rye guy. If I can find some winter rye, it'll stay greener than anything else in the woods into winter. And now the deer really key in on that. So if you can find some winter rye as a cover crop, that might be another thing. So there's just layers and layers and layers to this process. And then eventually you're going to run into one of those bucks. You're going to hunt him down and figure out where he's switching to. And it, it takes a while to get used to it and get going. It's like one of the comments. It's woodsmanship. Like it's one of the biggest lost arts these days because of technology. Like woodsmanship is super key and guys need to spend a ton of time on it and not worry about like cell cams and all this other crap. They need to get good at being in the woods and reading what they're looking at when they get in the woods to actually hunt the deer. Yeah, there's some, uh, you know, I joke around, you talk about technology, but then, you know, where I, where I may struggle with woodsmanship, I'll leverage technology a little bit, but even just the iPhone, you know, they, they acquire, Apple acquires other apps and they just bake them into the operating system. So one that they did, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I think, I don't know who the hell they bought, but now if I take a picture of a plant, my iPhone will tell me what that plant is. You can hit the little eye uh, yeah. for information, and boom, it gives me a whole list of, like, here's what that plant is. Here's other pictures that support it, you know, whatever. There's bird apps, all sorts of stuff. And, like, that's been really kind of fun. I've appreciated doing that because I'm like, first of all, A, is it poison ivy or poison oak? Am I going to get, like, a problem? I have a problem here if I, you know, take a pee over here. Or, you know, what am I going to learn about this stuff? And you do that enough times, and it starts to sink in a little bit differently. You start to actually retain that knowledge. And if you don't have someone yep. showing you, like, what you could bust out YouTube, I suppose, and try to describe it. Or you pick up a book. But Yeah, and, and you study that way, too. I think that's totally fine. But you know, oftentimes, you, a lot of folks have mentors that have taught them this stuff. Or I, I knew one guy that, I don't know, what's the, what's the, you know, academic term, but it's like a botanist. Like, he knew every freaking tree in the woods. It was actually pretty entertaining. What's that tree? And he'd tell me. What's that tree? And he'd tell me. I'm like, man, this is like walking around with a freaking encyclopedia. This is awesome. Yeah. I got a friend like that. <laughs> it was a park ranger he i can send him a photo of anything but now i don't have to but the key is to get a picture of that plant you got to be in the woods yeah like well that's just, just yeah e-scouting you can't just e-scout all day and know that that plant's there you actually got to get up and you got to go out there and be like oh what's that oh that's browsed off you got to be able to identify like he was talking about they nip it they nip the tops off like the beans so you got to be able to look oh this is browsed off what is that then take the picture look it up and then it might take you a couple times but then eventually you don't even need to use the phone you can walk in in season scout in the morning before you set up in the evening and you can be like oh man they're hitting this nettle right here they're hitting this and i got a north wind and that ridge sets up perfectly for bedding because you went in postseason and you found a ton of beds and you learned why you need to be always asking yourself why is this happening and that's how you learn and you're gonna fail but failure is the best teacher like if you go out and smoke a buck the first day you probably didn't learn too much i mean <laughs> it'll be awesome feeling but when you really get pounded by a big mature buck and you're chasing him around and he's just kicking the crap out of you 
you're really going to start trying to dig into the details. Like, how's he beating me? Am I coming in the access wrong? Is he got me on the wind? Is he catching my thermals? Is he, where did he move to? Is he going to that food source instead of this? So actual hunting, like spending time in the woods is, you can't replace it. It's, it's just impossible no matter what you do. You got to be in the woods. If you're running into the same buck multiple times per season, you have figured it out. I'll just tell you that right now. Oh, you've put I've together never enough seen pieces the same of the puzzle. Twice. I don't I'll think you've you figured it out. But <laughs> if I see a buck, I think I'm having a good time. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell That's you. That's where aggressiveness comes in. Like, you got to stay on them. Instead of sitting back and wishing and hoping, you got to go make it happen. Are you going to mess it up? Hell yeah, you're going to mess it up. But that's why I try to line up as many bucks as I can find through the postseason, through my switches and the cameras. I'll go out and hit a new property I've never been to in the middle of a season and just speed scout it and be like, okay, there's sign. Because you'll start learning what a big buck needs and where they live, and it'll come second nature. Like your brain will be on autopilot. It'll be computing all this crap while you're walking through the woods. And you'll just be like, okay, right there, there should be a mature buck if there's one living on this piece. And you can speed scout right in there, and you could set up on him the same day, hope he comes out, or you could get intel for a different day. But you got to be, you got to take risk. And that's what, I mean, that's how I got to where I'm at now. It took a lot of risk. Like moving to Iowa, putting all the chips on the table, like quitting jobs, betting on myself. You got to do that with the deer too. I mean, you just got to go at him. It's like a cage match, man. You just blow for blow. And, I mean, you're going to lose a lot, but you only got to get right one time a season. One time. That buck has to get it right every single day. That's a great way to think about it. Mm -hmm. And and you talk about, like, you've been in the mobile game, and I think that's that's how you can make moves. You can, you can, yeah. you can get down, pack up, shift, move closer, get down, pack up, leave your pack there, and go and, and do a ground suck. Like, you don't have to stay fixed position the entire time. I remember talking to Greg one hunt, and I was like, I'm glassing a field. I see a buck tending a doe. He's chasing other bucks off. Based on the wind in my cover, I can make a move on this deer. Should yeah. I get down? He's like, yes, you should. Or whatever the conversation was. I think I made the move the next day because the sun was going down at such a rapid rate. I wasn't going to cover the ground <laughs> fast enough. But I started to think differently. I was like, I can make moves. I don't have to oh, sit yeah. here and just pray and hope that this buck's going to come my way. Because clearly he wasn't. The doe wasn't going to make that distance. And, and so, therefore, he wasn't. And maybe I could have done some other things to bring some other bucks in because there were a lot on that property. You know, because so, I had live so, decoys. But in any event, like, it's a great mentality to take those risks. I've, I've started to kick a lot more bucks out of beds over the last three, four years. And, you know, I think I could be dismayed by that, but I could also be smitten by it because I'm like, oh, my God, there one was. This is where he was. This is what was happening. Now I've just gained some leverage against this animal. And for yeah. next year and so forth, like you're talking about. And you can learn more like different tactics, like you got the bump and dump. You could yeah. come in on a, a week later on the same wind. You could come in the next day, like you didn't have time to make a move on that buck, like you said, that you've seen right before dark. But you could have rolled right back in the next day because you're mobile and you could have got a setup. Because I find that right when they, the, especially mature deer, like right when they smell you're in the area, they're on you. 
and they're probably going to try to avoid that. So that keeps you when you move, it gives you the element of surprise. And if you got a lightweight setup, either saddle, tree stand, whatever, you know, like my setup's like 12 pounds or something like that. Like it's nothing. It's just air. I can jump around and I hunt really low. I don't hardly ever hunt above 12 feet so I can get up and down super fast to set up if I need to make a move and being mobile. It helps throughout the whole season. Like even in rut, if you see a hot doe move down a trail 200 yards away, man, I can fly down the tree and I can move that 200 yards instantly and be up a tree in five minutes and ready to go. Where if you got a 70 pound fixed damn lock on that you went out there in the summer and you're sweating your balls off and your buddy had to help you and you cut all your shooting lanes, which I've done that before. You don't want to move that, man. You're like, oh, man, this is hell to do. You're just going to sit there and you're going to wait and wait and wait and wait when you could have just got down if you were lightweight and mobile and just made the move. A guy comes in on your spot because it's public land. You get three dudes rolling on you. You can be gone. I just I roll right out. I'll just leave and go to another property where I got another buck and I'll just walk right in and set right back up and start hunting again. It just gives you a lot more versatility element of surprise you can get in a lot more trees like most of my setups are crazy because that's where the big bucks are because nobody ever really hunts in a lot of these spots because there's not a lot of tree selection or it's crappy trees you know what i mean you got to do what you got to do to get in these conversations i'm like guys this is where he is i have no clue how to set up on this there's nothing to set up on but this is where he is like how the hell should but I? But if hunt you it? have cover, and you I take advantage. Yep, you and take I, advantage. Yep. So it means you got to sit on the ground. I had two opportunities at that. You, bastard, you, pra- you practice you know? more shooting on the ground than you do out of a tree, right? So yeah. your, your ability to make a shot on the ground is the odds are much higher. Yeah, you're you're on a level playing field. Maybe a diff- small difference in degrees of of uh, uh, terrain change, but for the most part, you're you're right at eye level with that animal versus being way up high or you know just a few feet off the yeah ground. just a few feet i'll get in like hedge trees cedar trees i've strapped multiple trees together to get them strong enough to hold my big ass i <laughs> yeah, mean you say you don't go high get, in a tree you don't have to you're like eight feet tall <laughs> yeah yeah i'll get in leaning trees it don't matter dude i'll hunt from sometimes i'll just hook the saddle to the tree without the platform i'm just standing on the ground with the saddle on lean back to stay comfortable or I'll have the platform, no sticks. Sometimes I use one, two sticks, but I hardly ever go like, you know, 15 plus feet. I'm usually around that nine to 12 foot range. I think deer just, deer aren't looking for you because they never really encountered another hunter there. So they're just not paying as, as long as you're not moving around, they're just not paying attention as much. They're like, oh, I'm, oh, there's a tree stand over here. There's a tree stand there. There's a tree stand there, but there's never a guy here. And that's why he's moving through there, and he's not expecting you to be there. I'll say once so, you get once you get comfortable with this concept of failing and making those bold moves and getting aggressive, that has been the biggest game changer. And I'll say, like years ago, I remember I got access to a conservancy property. My dad will probably probably remember this. I I didn't have the gear to get set up in a tree, so I just climbed to the crotch of a tree and yeah. found a way to like make it work. And I I glassed three different bucks in this bottom of this tall grassy you know bramble bushy stuff and uh, i watched one stand up out of his bed and i watched two others browsing and i was like holy crap i'm in it 
and it was mid-season. It wasn't too early, um, but it wasn't like rut or anything. And I remember one of these deer was kind of headed my general direction, and I was freaking out. I was like, but the the but the freaking the mindset for me was if he turns my direction, I have a chance. I didn't consider if he stayed the course that I could have gotten down and made a move. Like that didn't even occur to me. I probably didn't even know what the wind was even doing. You know, it yeah. wasn't even on my radar that that's how I should be behaving, even though I was completely mobile. And then you fast forward to me making moves. Now I'm like, I can go play a chess game with this animal. Whereas yeah. a younger three years ago, four years ago, I wasn't, they wasn't even in my brain to consider those things. And I was in the game, but I wasn't playing the game. It's like something on the chessboard. And I was like, wow, look at all these freaking pawns out here. Holy shit. And it's like, dude, you're a queen. You can move any direction. You don't got to sit here. You can go do stuff. And that's kind of been my new paradigm shift over the last several years. It's like I can, I can move. I can make moves. I can anticipate things. I'm still learning how to play this holistic larger game like you're talking about. Like you're light years ahead of me there. But it just shows – it goes to show that we can all get there. We can all yeah. like – learn and apply learn and apply learn and apply and over the years it starts to compound and you get something favorable you know it's fun yeah it's exactly. fun to play the game i love and, it uh, yeah i mean i didn't have a mentor nobody really taught me how to hunt it's just all trial and error and you gotta be you gotta have the balls to try things i mean that's where my no balls no bucks things comes from like you gotta risk it for the biscuit like i said earlier you know <laughs> what was you the, just gotta what's the get on that Oh, that's uh oh um oh gosh, Talladega Nights snowballs. He just keeps repeating yeah. that what that one is. Yeah, I feel like you gotta get a meme for that. We do have a caller, uh, Randall. We yeah, got sure. we got Calder calling in. He's a, a regular listener, a semi caller. Calder, you're live on the show. What's going on, bud? Hey, how you guys doing tonight? Good. Yeah, we're good, good man. Nice. You got some good hey, questions. Good. Can you hear me, Randall? Yeah, I can hear you. Go for it. Shoot it off. Let's hear it. Okay, awesome. Hey, yeah, so just a little bit about where I'm at. Um, I'm located in upstate northern New York, um, right in between Lake Ontario and the Adirondack Mountains. And I live in a lot of ag country. Um, it seems to me like there's an abundance of everything around here for white-tailed deer, and we have a big population of deer. Um, but you know, I hunt a little bit, um, on some field edges and some land I have permission on and I hunt a little bit from tree stands, a little bit from ground blinds. Um, you know, but finding bucks, seeing bucks is rare, you know, and I have a lot of public land around me that I've tried to get into a little bit and scout out and stuff like that. But like I said, it seems extremely overwhelming to me because it seems like there's just cover everywhere. There's water everywhere. There's food everywhere. And so I would love to just pick your brain because, you know, I didn't have anybody either that's gotten me into hunting really. And so, um, yeah, it just seems like, you know, should I spread a broader area and search for bucks or should I really hone in on specific areas and pound those areas and look for them or, you know, just uh, interested to hear, you know, kind of how you, you know, when you moved, how you kind of approached it out of the gate, finding, you know, mature animals in public areas. 
Yeah, so I scout way more than I hunt. I scout postseason scouting will help you the most because it'll give you the sign from the past season. So you can find like rub lines, uh, the scrapes, beds. And then for me, I think I started, uh, I tried to figure out every single inch of every property. But once you, uh, when I started learning more about the bucks, the different age groups, what they like, how they bed set up, how they move. And then now I'm more of a speed scouter. I just look at the, like I'll get on Spartan Forge and just through experience, I'll be able to identify like some of the best places I think the deer will be bedded for the predominant wind. And then I can just fly in there, scout it, leave. Like I don't try to figure out everywhere in that area. I identify in my opinion, which everybody has their own style of hunting and their own opinions on things. So it varies hunter to hunter. But what I look for, I'll go in and I'll look at that first and try to find the best couple of areas. And then I'll go to the next property. And I'm trying to just build up as many places as I can because it'll give you more it'll give you more leeway, courage. You'll be more likely to be more aggressive if you have more and more and more spots built up. So for you, I would talk to some guys that kill deer in your area. I mean, you got like Ryan Gluski, uh, Steve Shirk lives up there. Just reach out and don't ask them for like locations or spot. Ask them about what the deer are doing. Like what's, their favorite food source that's not ag when are they shifting like really technical questions like it's more mountainous up there kind of hill country by user just more flat ag i would assume that's more like hill country than mountains right yeah it's uh there's some good elevation drops and i'm yeah i'm at the the foothills of the adirondacks the base so you know i got a couple thousand feet in elevation around me but the ag country is, you know, hilly and, yep. you know, flat, but there are some mountain areas or, you know, bigger inclines, I guess I would say. So I'd, I'd start learning about your predominant wind directions, which you can get on like Spartan Forge and you can look at the historical data and it'll tell you each month what the wind direction is and what the percentage of it is. Then you can pick like two or three and say, if it's Northwest, then, you know, the Bucks probably bedded on the south side of the ridge. So you can start keying in on just looking at south sides of ridge points. Uh, you can start learning about hill country stuff like knuckles, benches, thermal hubs. You can uh, start running cameras. There's a lot of guys that are running cameras on like hub scrapes and stuff. You can get in on that to get inventory built up. And then thermals i'd start learning about thermals as much as you can because thermals are going to influence you a ton where you live at so learning all about the different thermals how the deer move with the thermals and i just scout my balls off man just go in there and just start looking at sign and learning and getting off the field edges diving back in the woods and then it's going to be really hard at first. It wasn't even for me, but when it starts clicking, then it'll just go on autopilot and you'll start figuring out, but I wouldn't let it overwhelm you. I'd pick like a couple of different things you want to focus on and start small, then start building on top of that. 
you can start working on like the list I just gave you do like one at a time, talk to some bigger guys. A lot of those bigger guys are super nice. You can just hit them up and ask them like different. Yeah, Johnny Stewart's out like, that way too. He, he, I wouldn't ask him for a spot, but he's the kind of guy that might share some pins with you. If you're yeah. a noob or something like that, he might be the kind of guy. Well, not Pennsylvania. Never mind. Well, maybe. Uh, similar. He's still, he's still in, you know, he's still in the mountains and but, the hills. Might have but some good intel. And we, and and too, like, it's information overload. It sounds like you're, you're like, you know, if, if it's so vast and has all the components you're talking about, how the hell do you distill it down? Derek's a good guy to talk to, also in the sense of he hunts the Northwoods and it's vast, so it's hard to distill. And we have, um, we put together a playlist. At least I tried to curate all of the tactical conversations we've ever had, even back to the Where to Hunt days, of all the tactical things. So, you know, that might be a cool one because we do have some hill country, bluff country, thermal stuff inside of those. So you could go to, like, at least a one-stop shop to get all the tactical stuff. Yeah. Um, in addition to reaching out to some of these guys who are super nice, but I'm sure they get inundated with messages from folks, especially yeah, now. But, you can, but yeah, go ahead. You can look them up on podcasts, just yep. search their names. Steve Shirk even has, like, some workshops you can go to. It costs you a little bit of money, but you can go out there with him in person. And walk around with them. And the hill country is a lot more predictable to hunt with deer movement because you got the thermals and the wind based bedding is way stronger in the hill country. So once you start learning the wind based bedding and the thermals, you'll be, it'll be really fast to get on deer once you get off the field edges and actually get back in the woods and get up on some of that terrain. You know, you got the saddles. There's a lot of key things that you could go hunt now, like even during the rut, they're going to move through there and you're going to be on deer just by knowing the key terrain features and hill countries, the thermals. I think it'll be a lot faster to learn that if you get up in the hills and kind of get away from the ag, honestly, and then you can come back, focus on like the ag country stuff. Even like Dan Infault has some DVDs on, there's different DVDs he has. You can... You can buy one's hill country. It's got farm country, marsh, and then you and that'll help you learn about bedding too, because it's got all the visual maps and stuff where he's trying to show you how it kind of sets up. But the key is, once you get the information, you want to go verify it in the woods. Just don't be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, he's talking about that." No, you need to be like, "Okay, he said this," and then you need to go out in the woods find it where he says it's going to be and see what it actually looks like in person. And then once you have that map, then you can go to another spot and be like, all right, I want to jump to the three ridges over and see if I can find the same thing. So if you, that's kind of how I did it. I just started picking out different things that I thought mattered most, like the bedding, the secondary food source, terrain features, what, how they're moving through the terrain and then I'm going to go verify that. And then I actually see it for myself and then I'll go through more terrain and just scout more and more to find just that. Like I spent three years on nothing but beds. I literally for three years didn't look at anything else but beds. And that's how I got really good at bedding and knowing where they're going to bed. Now I can just, e-scout and most of the time i'll know like okay the deer's going to be here and i can roll right in there and i'm in the game a lot of the times doing it that way but it takes a long time 
it's probably like a three to four year learning curve, I think, when you get mobile and you start diving into this type of hunting. The learning curve is about the age of the mature buck you're trying to hunt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then you're set for life, though. Once you got it down, you're in the game every year and you're getting you're not going to see as many deer, but you're going to see the right kind of deer that if that's your style. I mean, there's nothing wrong with. Yeah. Whatever you want to do. I mean, if you want to shoot whatever, man, if you want to hunt the ag field edges, that's cool too. I mean, it just depends on what you personally and what your goals are. Yeah, I'm, I feel that's how I feel. You know, I feel like the, the learning curve is extremely steep, but then once you kind of get the hang of it and find the patterns, you know, then it, you know, it levels out a little bit and you're set for life, kind of. Um, I'm, yeah. And, it's a ton of great information and great, you know, direction that you pointed me in. I like the idea of focusing, you know, on one or two things year after year. And I do feel like I gain a little bit of knowledge year after year, but I'm trying to speed up that learning curve a little bit, but this is great. I'm going to listen to you guys um, offline here or off for the rest of the night and uh, appreciate the information. Hope you guys have a great season. Good rest of your night. Thanks, Calder. We Thanks, appreciate Calder. you. you yeah, anytime. And if you ever have any questions, you can uh, just reach out to me on like Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And I try to help you out best I can. Great. I would say, uh, as I'm putting on the screen here, the number one rule is don't forget your release. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened to me before. Well, yeah. So that I was going to ask the reason I, I that was very intentional is what what type of okay like you failure is our best teacher, and you said that, and I've said that, and I continue to say it because it's. It is like you don't you don't get from here to there without falling on your face a couple of times. Like that's how you learn. That's how you get it soldered in your mind. What are some of the things you've you've learned the quote unquote hardware? What are the okayest moments you've had as someone that's you know really gotten to understand the game at a, at a you know high level? Yeah, I've uh, man, I've done so much stuff wrong. <laughs> I can't even remember <laughs> most of it honestly. I think I forgot my bow one time at home, and I drove all like two hours to get somewhere to hunt in my. Both not even in there, and I'm like, "What the hell's going on?" <laughs> That's <pissed>. rough. <laughs> That's rough. And then what else, man? I've done some dumb stuff, like a giant buck, like five yards away, and I decide to grunt. I'm like, "What the heck?" And it blew him right out too, man. He was gone because I let it rip, man, like a loud grunt. <laughs> I was like, "Okay, never grunt, never again." I don't even carry a grunt call anymore after that. I'm like, "I'm done with that crap." <laughs> oh, that's crazy. So that's, that's, so there's like this part of me that the younger me was like this type where it's like never even like make your presence known in any capacity. Like I, I wanted to be a non-existing element in the woods. I, I didn't want to have a grunt. I didn't want to rattle. I didn't want to make any peep sound movement. Yeah. It all freaked me out as I've gained more confidence or whatever. Like I, the the buck on the wall behind me here, like I grunted a bunch, and I don't know that it helped me or not necessarily. I did use our grunt tube as a test product. Nice. Uh, Matt Strime with Weathered Oaks uh, Game Calls makes these, and uh, they have the the OKS Hunter antler, you know, on there embedded, and it says OKS Hunter, but we call it our shooter buck grunt tube. Nice. It sounds really I, great. We got one hanging on yeah. the studio here, and. Yeah, my thought was there's already a buck grunting, you know, trying You're to get this, this dough. And I was Let's like, I'll, hear it. I'll, Let's yeah, rip the grunt call, see here, what it sounds like. Let's see here. You can get off the hunter hanger there from Half Rack. 
Can you snort wheeze on that bad boy or just grow? No, you can't. And I don't want to do snort wheeze. There we go. That's all you need, baby. That's all I need is snort wheeze. <laughs> Got some pretty. Nice. Sounds really great on the. Let me loop it back to the mic here. Watch this. Jeez. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it's good. It's good quality stuff. Anyway, I'm not. I'm yeah, I try some... not. I try not to call on public land because everybody else is out there calling. I, I blow out more big deer doing that than I do not calling. I'd rather just be totally surprised. If I feel like the deer's not coming my way, then I'll do the last ditch effort and I'll just snort wheeze as loud as I possibly can. I but I'm usually never rattling or grunting. I did a snort wheeze once. That was the first and last time I've ever snort wheezed in my entire hunting career. Because <laughs> I scared what I thought to be the dominant buck. He just ran off. He's like, yeah, Out. he wasn't having anything to do with that. But yeah, I've maybe seen guys you weren't dominant. You just totally dominated him, man. He was scared. <laughs> I was like, what the? F you're huge. What are you doing running away? That may have been the biggest deer I've seen on the hoof in my All hunting deer career. have their own personalities, just like people. Like, no deer is the same. So some are shy. Some don't care. No. That's one thing about watching deer, too. Like, watching their body language and stuff can give you tips or how they interact with other deer. Like, even on your camera, if you run video mode. If he comes into a scrape all bristled up and he's pushing other deer off, he's probably really dominant and you can get away with doing more aggressive stuff than the shy buck. And not and the 180 that you see on your camera might not be the dominant buck. He might be a big softy and there's like a 130 pushing him around. I've you see that a bunch. Like so every situation's kind of different. You can't take everything for what it's worth there's yes. just averages that i find that most of the time this happens and then when you're talking about like uh okay it's hunter moments like when i was coming up hunting on tv was huge so you got all these big tv shows and you're watching that stuff most of that stuff's on private managed land outfitters like some other guy did all the work and the guy flies in and he's the guide sits him in a tree stand and the guy's just there as a shooter pretty much shoots the buck for the camera shoves 30 products down your throat <laughs> and then you think okay well that's gonna work for me so you go out on public land and get your ass handed to you because you were watching that stuff so that's why i say you gotta vet people out like what they say you gotta go in and see for yourself like does this hold merit or not does this product work for me or not like it could work for you but not work for me because we're all have different styles so i really vet all the gear i use i vet really hard products i see i'm really like i don't know i'm not really trustworthy in that world as much i like to try it out and then in, i don't really use it in season as much like if i'm hunting a 200 inch buck i'm going to lock in on what i know works and i'm not going to be worried about all the latest and greatest gadgets that i've never used in the woods you know yeah, you don't want to introduce some unknown variable that you think could be the thing that ruined it for you rather than made it happen. Yeah. There, there is something to being comfortable and confident with your gear, your equipment, whether that's a grunt tube or a saddle or a platform, like having – this is a time of year where I'm setting stuff up in my backyard and starting to play around like a kid. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I yeah. love it. And uh, this is where my wife starts to, you know, give me the side eye of, really, is what you're doing? I'm like, uh -oh. well, I got to start – you only do this stuff once a year – typically and uh you got to familiarize yourself and reacclimate yourself to your processes that you put in place so you can become efficient out there because 
Man, when sun, when hunting season's here, things are crazy and chaotic. You have, I've I've foregone the ability to pay attention to anything around the house. <laughs> the leaves aren't raked. The trash isn't out. The garage is a mess. You've seen it. If you watch the OK Sunner show, you've seen the mess that is my house. And then hunting season ends, and it's like this relief valve for my wife that I'm present again, but then I haven't taken the time to square away my gear. So when hunting season comes around the next year, I'm back at the same place, scatterbrained, wondering where the hell everything is, <laughs> and trying to get a hold of it all again. Yeah. So. Organization, organize and get ready way earlier, because I'm that last second guy, too. I'm like, the night before a season opener, I'm like throwing crap together, can't find anything. I'm all pissed off, stressed out. Like, this, I'm trying to get everything ahead of time for the first time in my life and just have it all ready to go, and I'm just going to pick it up. And... Tr- Man, living in Iowa, too, because October opener, I've been hunting in September now. So that threw me off when I started hunting out of state more because I started hunting September. Then I was really bad. I was like, oh, crap, because it gets here way quicker. And, like, I'm going to start out in Kentucky this year, which opens, like, September 2nd. So I got to be ready, getting ready in August. Yeah, now it's it's your job. Now it's your job. You better be ready. You better. But I'll have time in season now if I'm not quite ready to fine tune things. It's like I go out of state more for fun and it's like fine tuning my gear and, oh, this squeaks a little bit. I need to figure that out. And And that's um, a great place to make mistakes and and fall a little bit because you're out of your comfort zone. So you might as well take some bigger gambles anyways. Like, what do you care? You're going to be hunting here for a couple of days. Like, might as well make the moves and and learn. And so when you get back to your home base, you can really – Take those fine yeah. tuning efforts and then put them to use. If, if I'm chasing like a 200 inch buck, I want to have all that stuff ironed out before I even walk in the woods to try to hunt him down. So I use more early season. Like if I want to test out a product, something new, I'm because using it in your backyard and in the woods is a totally different thing too. Like some things uh, are awesome in your backyard. Then when you get in the tree, you're just pissed off at it and you want to chuck it through the woods. I'll send sap. my three kids your way and you can tell me how much easier it is in the woods than your backyard. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about distracted i'm like guys put that down but no don't run away with that get over here no don't climb on that you're gonna fall i'm like shit where did this go now it's actually worse than the woods because in the woods i only got to deal with my own self making all so the problems so you got a yard sale in your backyard yeah something kids, they've taken kids all the got stuff. Your, your climbing stick up the uh, place can, I get, can I get my bow yeah yeah but ho- hold on hold on where's holly get to, i'm trying to climb the tree <laughs> like, yeah for chaos. sure um yeah, so just testing out gear. Oh, okay, it's hunter. My okay, it's hunter moments are more for like dumb stuff that I do in the woods or when I'm camping. Like, what was it? Two years ago in Missouri, I was sleeping in my truck and I was using a Diet Mountain Dew bottle as my pisser bottle. Oh, don't tell me you drank oh, it. No. Oh, no. Oh, I peed in it and filled her up, man, and put it right in the console. Then I went out and I hunted all day until like noon. I was like, oh, man, I need to go back and reorganized so i jumped in there and it was like 90 something degrees in missouri you know super hot and i just picked up that diet mountain dew and like took two huge chugs which was like half the bottle then i (laughs) that's gotta be taking a cake i'm making you guarantee i'm making a clip out of this and the preceding scene is gonna be do i like to taste my own urine no but soon i like the taste or whatever the hell he says rip torn and dodgeball Okay. You're getting clipped, my friend. This is gonna happen. Be on the lookout. And then I puked. I puked all over the parking lot a bunch. I was like, oh man, it was nasty, all hot. I was like, I don't know how like Bear Grizz drinks his own piss in the desert. But I wouldn't advise it. God. Jeez, that was a mistake. That's rough. Yeah, we know you like the Diet Mountain Dew, and now we know why. 
exactly. Or my buddy bet me 50 bucks I wouldn't drink a bottle of hot dough piss. So I oh, wouldn't advise no. that either. Oh, oh God, no. that smells real bad. <laughs> yeah, you get morning breath from that. It's not good. I'm sure. Uh, Dalton Wood asked, what, what are your goals for this year? We'll kind of, we'll wrap it up here, round out a little bit. So we'll answer this question. We'll bring the plane in for the landing. My goals. Well, he told me if I killed a buck before him, he'd send me these sunglasses he had on, uh, Facebook that I like. So kill a buck before him so I can get his sunglasses. But, um, I'm in the bow hunting league and I'm on a team with a bunch of killers, uh, Adam Hayes and Joe Miles. So what'd I just guys... want to kill a deer so what... I get a score for the bowling league. What'd you guys? What's your team called over there? Uh, team Ozio. Nice. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Cool. Yeah, I don't want Joe to give me crap for the rest of my life because I didn't kill a deer when I got all the time in the world. <laughs> so I want to just get a buck. <laughs> You're gonna but... be for a hell of a season, my friend. You're like, oh look at all this runway. This is great, and then it's gonna be like, shit, what's going on? You know. You're and on. last last year there was a buck that absolutely just kicked the crap out of me, just this massive eight pointer. So, man, I think I'm just gonna come right out of the gate and just put it on him. I'm gonna try my damnedest. So I'd really like to get that done because it's just I don't know. It's just pissing me off that he did me dirty. So I really want to get on that buck and try to get him down early season in Iowa. Cool. Well, that's exciting, man. Where I mean, you you've been a very helpful beacon in the hunting community. You've you've helped a lot of people. You're you're an open book, which I appreciate. And always I think a lot of people help. do. So that's been nice. And taking calls on our show and talking to people, you probably get more calls. And you've been doing stuff with Hunt Better and and you know yeah. putting stuff out there. So I don't. know, What's your final thoughts? Or should people follow you somewhere? Or how do they get in touch if they should? And all that good jazz. Yeah, I got Instagram, I got Facebook. I don't have a YouTube yet, but I'm working on that. And then I do a lot of stuff for Hunt Better, which is a really great, it's like a subscription thing, but it's geared more towards uh, newer hunters or guys that want to up their game. There's a lot of killers on there, great information. A lot of stuff coming down the pipe on that. Um, You can DM me too. Like, I'm just a normal guy. Like, I'm not nothing special. I mean, I just worked really hard to get where I'm at and took a lot of risk and chances. And I'm no different than anybody else. Like if I can do it, anybody can do it. You just got to put the work in and that's the key. You just got to do the grind and never give up. So that's my no balls, no bucks. You just got to give it everything you got and don't let it kick your ass too much and just keep going. Yeah, that's great. Good, good way to end it there. We appreciate you taking time to hang out with us and leaving us with a bunch of wisdom to re-listen to a few times as we get ready for the season here and, Man, if there's any chance you can be in Wisconsin on August 26th to come hang out at Foam Fest, boy, would that be fun. But uh, I'll just leave you with that. All right, I'll look it up. (laughs) Yeah, man, thanks for being on the show with us. We appreciate a bunch. Everyone that tuned in live, thanks for the comments and the calls. This is being podcast land tonight. We appreciate you. See you.